soda previous to going to bed. Then he paddled back wearily with bare feet to the narrow kitchen. A cupboard containing a gas stove and a smaller cupboard set a kettle on to boil and began the always laborious process of bathing, shaving, and dressing. At the end, he shirked making tea or boiling an egg and he sat down discontentedly to another whiskey in the same glass and a piece of stale bread. As he consumed this unsuitable meal, he remembered his appointment for one o'clock that day, and hoped with a sudden devoutness that the buses would be running after all. It was no joke to go from Holborn to Whitechapel High Street on foot. But a young and rather aggressive socialist whom he had unwillingly met at that party had predicted with confidence a strike of busmen some time during the evening. Certainly Jeremy had had to walk all the way home from Chelsea, a thing he much disliked. But then perhaps by that time the buses had stopped running in the ordinary course. They did stop running, those Chelsea buses, a horrid place, at an ungodly early hour. He was not quite sure what. But then he was not quite sure at what time he had started home. He was not really sure of anything that had happened towards the end of the party. He remembered the long, devastating arguments in the earlier part about anarchism, socialism, syndicalism, Bolshevism, and some other doctrines, the names of which were formed on the same analogy, but which were too novel to him to be readily apprehended. These discussions were mingled with more practical but equally windy disputes on the questions whether the railwaymen would come out, whether the miners were bluffing, what Bob Hart was going to do, and much more besides, on the same level of interest. There had been also a youth with great superiority of manner who seemed as tedious and irritating to the politicians as they were to Jeremy, a sort of super-bore, who stated at intervals that the general strike was a myth, but praised all and sundry for talking about it and threatening it. It had been, hadn't it, a studio party? At least Jeremy had gone to it on that understanding but the political push had rushed it somehow and had bored everybody else to tears. Jeremy, who did not very much relish political argument, had applied himself to a kind of pleasure he could better understand. He now remembered little enough of those long, muddling disputations punctuated by visits to the sideboard, but he knew that his head ached terribly. Aspirin tablets washed down with whiskey would probably not be much good, but they would be better than nothing. He took some. In the midst of these difficulties and discomforts, he began obscurely to miss something, and at last it flashed on him that he had no morning paper, because there had been no Mrs. Watkins to bring it in with her and put it on his table. He realized at the same time that the morning paper would tell him whether he had to walk to Whitechapel High Street, and that it was worth a journey to the street door from his flat at the top of the building to know the worst but when he had made the journey there was no paper. While he was reflecting on this disagreeable fact, an envelope in the letterbox caught his eye. It was addressed to him in a somewhat illiterate script, and appeared to have been delivered by hand since it bore no stamp. When he opened it, he found the following communication. Dear Sir... I'm sorry to tell you I shall not be able to come in to-morrow, as we working women 
have gone on strike in sympathy with husbands and other working men. The buses are all out and the railways, and so are we. Dear Mr. Tuft, I don't know, I'm sure, how you will get on without me, but do your best, and don't forget today is the day for your clean underclothes. They are in the chest of drawers. There is a tin of sardines in the larder, so no more at present from your truly Mrs. Watkins. Well, I'm damned, said Mr. Tuft, staring at this touching epistle, and for a moment he was filled with annoyance by the recollection that he had not put on his clean clothes. Presently, however, he trailed upstairs again, and when he had found the sardines in the larder, the effort thus endured strengthened him for the task of making tea. Eventually, he got ready a quite satisfactory breakfast in the course of which his mind cleared to an exhausted and painful lucidity.